This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Now, regular listeners to this show will know that every now and then I have a habit of throwing in the line, well, I'm a goalkeeper, and whenever we're talking about something that's happened to either Edison or Claudio Bravo, if that sort of stuff gets on your nerves, then this week's Blue Moon podcast might not be for you, because it's a goalkeeping special. Whatever way you look at it, as bad as City have been down the years, they've often had somebody who's been performing well between the sticks. The good news is, this is an amateur hour on the podcast, and we've got someone in who knows what they're talking about. I'm your host, David Mooney, and so that I'm not flailing around in the dark, playing guessing games about where goalkeeper's feet should be or whether yes he has or he hasn't gone with his wrong hand I'm joined by the former Darlington and Aberdeen goalkeeper now a goalkeeping coach and journalist David Priest David welcome to the show yeah thanks for having me on David no problem at all um before we get into the nitty-gritty of City's goalkeepers because I think there's a lot to talk about with that um I just wanted to play you this this is uh, former City midfielder Michael Brown speaking to us a few years ago about one of his best goals for the club I think I played in a cup game against Darlington and managed to to score one of my better goals. I wanted to ask about that. I mean, do you still remember it? I do, because I'm from Hartlepool, so to score against Darling at any point, you know, it's um, it's always a classic. But you know, I remember just mazing through and managed to somehow, I think it was in the FA Cup, I think. But it was obviously the first round, so it would have been November, December, November. Please support the show by becoming a backer. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. David, do you know what goal he's talking about there? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I do. Yeah, it was. Um, I think it's a '97, '98 season when I was at Darlington. We, we drew Man City in the cup, and that was the the replay of the uh, second round FA Cup game at Main Road. And it, both games were closely contested. Um, I remember Paul Dickoff scoring a late equaliser at Feetham's to take it to that second game, and um, and all it was a it was a tough time for for City at, the, uh, at that moment. It was, you know, I think it was. Um, they, they weren't really doing well in in what was League One, um, and and I think that's yeah, it was a, it was a real sort of turning point. I feel anyway, looking back on it, a real turning point for for City, and it was um, yeah, it was a, after the, how well we played in both games, it was a bit of a pill to swallow that uh, we lost in such circumstances at the end of the game. But like Michael said, you know, it was a, it was a, a goal worthy of winning the tie. It was. I mean, it, it was. It was in extra time of that replay as well. So I mean, you you you'd done. I mean, you'd gone two games against City without without losing the game. And I and I think it was um, from from memory. I think Darlington were were probably the better team in in both legs. Yeah, I mean, considering the state of our pitch at themes at the time, which was it, it had been better served as uh, for growing potatoes really. But we, we we played some some good football under David Hodgson. We had some experience in there alongside some. Some real good young players, and, um, and it was a real good test for us for where we were at that time, and the really experienced side that that, that City had. Um, you know, it's perhaps not the, the same names that are at the club at this current uh, time, but it certainly was full of experience as well. So it was, um, yeah, it was a, it was a real test for us. Was that was that replay your only game at Main Road? Did you play there any, any other time? I played there once before in an um, FA Youth Cup semi final. I think that might have been around the ninety three ninety four season, and I think um, I think the same happened again. I think we we drew at Roker Park, uh, went into extra time at um, at Main Road and and lost to a to a late goal there as well. So it was a bit not exactly my favourite ground, Main Road, but um, I, th- I think uh, I think the, that City side went on to lose in the final to to Spurs if uh, if my memory is correct. Yeah, we. Uh, I was. I, you've you've ruined my numbers now because uh, I was going to say, who, who do you reckon has the better record? Uh, you at Main Road or me at the Etihad? Um, but I, you've just made it. Yeah, honestly, if you've if you've played 120 minutes twice at Main Road and only conceded once in each game, then you're a goal every 120 minutes, and I'm I have two goals every 44 minutes at the Etihad. So uh, not well, doing quite as well. Maybe I could have signed for Man City then. At, at... You know that made it meant something then. <laughs> um, well, let's let's talk about City's goalkeepers at the moment because um, the current crop. We, we we were planning to talk about Edison and how he changed the game during his first season at City, but we never got around to it. And then last season's title race got got far too tense for me to start doing that then. Um, but now with the with the season on hold, we've got plenty of time. Um, so I mean, first question in in terms of Edison, um, how difficult do you think it is to be a, a goalkeeper in a Pep Guardiola team? 
Well, obviously, there's a massive responsibility on the goalkeeper when it comes to to build up and starting starting off attacks, and I think that the the biggest thing you've got to give Pep Guardiola credit for really is firstly recognizing a problem that was occurring during his first season uh, with Claudio and goal, and solving that problem with Edison. Of course, when you want to play the way that's, that that City do, and they, they want to build up right from their own goal line, basically. You know, you, you need to have full confidence in your in your keeper to do that. Sometimes, when 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 teams when you try and play like that, and opposition smell blood, it gives them more encouragement to to press you a little bit harder and makes it more difficult. And what Edison's done is is brought a, another dimension to to that whole game. That you know, it's not all short passing build up. He's gave them a, other options further up the field and. And what he does basically, you know, with the the range of kicking that he has, he creates space for his own side, and and I think that's the key to it all. Really, that's to play the way they do. They need to have space and to to create space, and that's exactly what he does. He creates that space for them. But it's you're right. It's 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 only half the battle, though, in my mind. That uh, what a goalkeeper does with the ball. We've seen with other sides who try and build up from goal kicks and from goalkeepers, no matter what. If you look at Arsenal under Unai Emery, he came under a lot of criticism for not being successful at, at playing out from the back and playing short passes, but also con- just continuing to do that. And I totally agree with the way they, tr- they they continue to do it. You know, the only way to to improve something is to to keep doing it and trying to to improve that and get better at it. With building up from the back, goalkeepers are only half the equation. I think a lot of it is down to. Um, you know, what your defenders and your players in front of you are doing, the options that they give you as well. And I think that was a big, perhaps the the, the biggest um, problem that Claudio Bravo had to, to face when he first came to, to Manchester City, that he'd come from a club who were steeped in, in how they were trying to play football from the goalkeeper. And so then you automatically have people taking up great positions and who are used to doing that through years of training. That's one of the biggest things to work on and for defenders to work on in a Pep Guardiola team. I was I was reading an interview with with Casper Schmeichel not so long ago who who talked about playing against City when they when they're doing that when they're doing it well. Um, and one of the things he said is, is is for the strikers, it's actually it, it's almost impossible to know what to do because if you close Edison down, he's cool enough to be able mm. to take the ball and hold it under pressure and then find one of his defenders if he, if he needs to, or he's got the ability to loft it long over the top of everybody and drop it on Sergio Aguero's toe as well. So, I mean, in terms of of that and and the ability, is there a way when City are getting it right? Is there a way to stop it? The only the only way really is to. Um... Is basically to to press them high and aggressively, as they did with when Claudio Bravo was in goal. His start at the um, at City wasn't perhaps the greatest from that first game against uh, in the derby. You know, you, you apportion the blame half to him and half to John Stones as well. He drops that cross, and it kind of gives opposition watching that. It gives them sort of extra incentive to think, oh well, you know, there's chink in the army, we can exploit that. And I think that's what happens sort of in subsequent games. Well, like you've just stated there, it's rather than the pressing team giving Manchester City problems, Pep Guardiola and, and Edison have, have turned that totally around where in possession of the ball, they're the one giving the opposition problems. They're the one asking them questions and, and making them think about what they should do. And um, it makes it so difficult for opposition. I'm not going to lie. When I when I sit in the Etihad and I watch him, and he's and he's got somebody like Jamie Vardy closing him down, and he just shifts it one foot onto the other and takes it round him, and then passes it square. My heart's going tense to the dozen. I don't know how. I'd like in a goalkeeper in that position, would yours be doing the same? Well, do you know we always encourage um, in training to to put keepers in emergency situations. So it's okay seeing you know. Coach that would do one thing when when everything's going right. You know, if they come, if a strike approach from this position, one of your defenders needs to be here. They'll give you options. But sometimes that there has to be. You know, if you're playing in in this kind of system, there's going to be occasions where it's just down to pure one one v one. You know, goalkeeper against striker. And in that respect, we can go on about his technique and his passing range all day. But his biggest asset, without doubt, is his mindset and how cool he is in, in possession because you often see keepers when they're, you know, if they're rushed or they're, they're harried, then they start panicking when we've seen it many times. It's just not the case where Edison's been lucky enough to see him in, watch him in training sessions as well. And 
some of the things where he's on his own goal line, he, he's he's unperturbed. And, and I think another thing from that, it's not just his mindset. I think it's it comes from the manager as well. I think the you know the manager has to he puts responsibility on that goalkeepers, but he also has to put hundred percent trust in him as well. Almost at the acceptance that there will be mistakes, you will lose goals because of this, but because in the if you look at the whole picture, the payoff and uh, is just much greater than the risk. And I think that's probably been the problem with English football for a long time. That's why we've probably taken a long time since 1992, since the the back pass rule was introduced. I think we've taken far longer than other nations to kind of accept that we don't have to play no risk football. Growing up and, and being coached in the final third, we were always taught never take risks. Goalkeepers don't take risks. Defenders don't take risks. And to me, it's just being counterintuitive to what the rest of the world has been doing. Now, obviously, this season, uh, Liverpool have, have run away with the league ahead of City. And uh, it, it's just been one of those seasons where, where they've never looked like dropping points. Um, obviously, in goal, they've got Alisson, who is Brazil's number one, You know, Edison behind him. What What's the difference between the two keepers, do you, do you see? Do you know what I, I I did a little um I did a piece for the Times just before um the outbreak of the pandemic and so it didn't end up being run and it was a good chance for me just to try and compare the two of them in four or five different categories and even though there's a slight difference in sort of techniques they employ and and the way that they go about things there's the, to me there is very little to distinguish between the two of them. Do you take something like a one v one situation when? You play for teams like Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola. 1v1 situations for a goalkeeper, you have to be very strong because of the high lines that they play, the, the amount of football that they play in their own half where there's a, a greater deal, a greater chance of a turnover happening. You're going to be faced with 1v1 situations, so it's imperative your keeper is strong at that. And now, in my mind, they, they both are very strong in 1v1 situations, but they, they're both different in the way that they they approach it, where Alisson is... Is very much um, he waits. He's very much more patient than Edison. He'll sort of hold back a little bit, put the pressure on the striker, uh, the opposing player to to beat him, rather than him trying to stop the striker. So you often find that he'll wait late and and wait for the the striker to make his first move, and then he reacts from that. Uh, whereas Edison's much more aggressive. Um, he puts you know he tries to pressure the goalkeeper by. Uh, Making aggressive movements and and rushing out towards towards a striker and and sometimes you know that pays off and and sometimes it doesn't you know but I think it's um like I said both of them in general over the past three seasons or two and a half seasons um they've certainly had a similar success rate despite the difference different way they approach it. Is it? I mean, for for a Guardiola and I suppose for a Klopp team as well in 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 terms of the amount of possession that City generally have. Um, is it is it's as much of his game concentration than uh, than making saves and footwork? Well, I mean, I think it probably goes to you know to any keeper at a, in an elite club. You know, you are going to find that there's a, you know you go long periods without any action, and sometimes you know with, with especially younger goalkeepers that can lead to a kind of a mentality where you think you need to be involved or you need to to manufacture situations so that you have something to do. I don't see a, a flamboyance or, or uh, being unnecessary with their involvement in the in, in what the team does. So um, that and that takes a real maturity. And you see in both of them, they're not. But when they both came to the Premier League, they were both. You wouldn't put them down as being hugely experienced goalkeepers. But what they have done, they've shown a great maturity in in doing that. You'd probably say that Edison is more aggressive and in coming for for crosses and dealing with high balls, but. And that's just his nature, but I think that the fact that he's not silly with it, you know, he's not coming, he's just trying to move, prove a point. He's, he's he's trying to affect the situation and help his defenders. But like I said it, it takes great maturity just to to have nothing to do and just to accept that and just do what you have to. I'm not saying that I've been involved in in great teams when I've been playing in five a side games, but it's, I, I'm not going to lie. That's that's the hardest part I find that, that that whenever I'm playing is is not to. 
Uh, it's usually in the second half to, to to actually concentrate on where I need to be standing rather than than, than anything else. It's one of the things I I can really sympathise with uh, when goalkeepers have not got a lot to do. Um, you mentioned before about the back pass rule in in 1992. I, I, I kind of wanted to, to tap into this a little bit um, because I, I've I've been just in in terms of, of Pep Guardiola and, and his influence on on tactics and how football has changed goalkeeping. How much has he been involved with it, or how much has it is it simply been updating the laws of the game when the Premier League was introduced to stop goalkeepers being able to pick up back passes. Well, obviously, it goes back to to the the seventies and in Johan Cruyff and you know and, and all the talk of goalkeepers being the the eleventh player on the in the side, and it wasn't something that was totally adopted by um, teams and managers when the the back pass rule came in. Like I said, especially here, there was very much a fear factor about it all. I think more than anything, that's it's it's about taking the fear out of the situation. It's about not saying, "Oh, it's not a great risk," or your first thought is not to concede a goal because once you have that mindset and you let those doubts come into your head, that's when you often make those mistakes. There are a lot of teams now that are trying to build up from the back. You have the likes of Brendan Rodgers at Leicester, Graham Potter at Brighton, who, as many say, is like it's ultra football. You're playing football all over the pitch rather than just sort of the middle third and final third. And it gives them more freedom to play the way that the managers want them to. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. In terms of City this season, they, they obviously lost Aymeric Laporte uh, quite early on. Um, it, it's always felt like the defence has been there to be got at this year. I, I, what, what's your take on, on how City have defended this year? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I think more than anything, it's um, if you get a consistency in the in the lineups, especially in defence and in, in goal, then you you get more consistent performances. Of course, you you've got people like Fernandinho being playing being playing in the back four, and got no doubt that he he can do that job. But it can be difficult for a player, no matter how experienced, no matter how tactically flexible they are, to flip in between two different positions and playing central defender. In some respects, should be easier, really, because in centre midfield you've got to worry about in front and behind you. Whereas in central defender, you see a lot of the play, and then you know if there is space in behind, then you've got to be aware enough to to cover that. But I think you look at a lot of goalkeepers who have troubles, and you, you can link that to you know you look at someone like Joe Hart. His situation over the past four or five seasons hasn't been held by switching clubs, switching goalkeeping coaches having to work with different defenders, get to know their games and and link your game with how they play as well. And that even then, you know, that we talk about maturity about goalkeepers. If there's a an inconsistency in the defence or there's a lack of confidence amongst the people in front of you, then you might have to change your mindset and your decision-making to try and make up for their deficiencies as well. I think more than anything this season, that, that's been a, one of the biggest problems for Edison. That's why all the... The last two or three months before the close, uh, the shutdown of the season, where you, you, you saw Manchester City um, conceding goals that were wholly avoidable. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the other thing that that's changed this season. I don't. I don't know how much of an impact it's actually had. The the, the change to the goal kick uh, rule, so that defenders can receive it in inside the box. Um, that that should help City, really, should it? Well, it should, and and. And I know that uh, at Ostersund in Sweden, where I am, there was a big discussion around it, and myself and and the manager Ian Birchnall, we we studied um, a lot of footage from Brazil, because in the uh, Brazilian league trials, this short goal kick, where the you know the players were allowed inside the box, opposition obviously not allowed in, and the ball didn't have to leave the area before your your player touches it. So we studied them a lot, and um, it was fascinating to see how how other teams have done this, but. I don't know if other t- other managers have learnt this as well. That for me, there wasn't sh- uh, a huge gain by doing it because when when the player's inside the box, you pass the ball to the to the player inside you. It's a lot easier for one player to close down you and in your defender. From my point of view, it's better if a, a player is maybe you can still be just inside the box rather than being outside in a wide area. But it, it's better to have more, bigger distances between yourself and the opposition, so creating more space and, and being able to play through lines and play around the opposition. But it's even interesting to see when you know you look at um, Barcelona, they, they've sort of progressed at where it's it's one of the central defenders who are taking the goal kicks now, and it's to Stegen that's out one of the uh, where the central defenders would be, and all that does it just mixes it up a little bit and 
and gives the opposition something to think about as well. But I don't think that's had anything to do with any of the problems that they've had defensively this year, though. Well, let's. I mean, let's touch on on Edison's form as well because he 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 feels like he's had a season where he's been below par compared to to the last two. And I, I suppose that's that's a little harsh given the standards he'd set previously. Um, but do you see any reasons why that might be, or is it is it more of a team thing? Yeah, I think it's more of a team thing. You know, you you take some of the errors from this year, particularly like the, the McTominay goal against United, where that just perhaps it's in a situation where he's trying to rush rush things or. He obviously didn't see McTominay breaking from midfield to close uh, close down, and it was obviously wasn't a great throw. But other than that, there's just been a, a few little, yeah. The, the I would say the art errors, you know, like the a couple of times being beaten sort of near post, where last season or the season before, you, you know, you, you think oh, I'd be taking those shots more easily. Like I think it was, was it Martial's goal and Son in, in one of the Spurs games. Yeah, and it's just small things like that creep in. Well, like I said, when it's you know when when things aren't going well or things aren't one hundred percent confident and uh, secure in your in your back four and your goalkeeper. What I mean in terms of of training and and on the training pitch, how, what what will what will Guardiola and his coaches be doing with Edison? Will he will he be will he be practicing those sorts of things, or is he more in, or is he more likely to be involved in um, the the kind of the team? Stuff the the actual possession of the ball, the running and the uh, and the movement, the passing, that sort of stuff. Javi Mansis, still a goalkeeping coach there. Uh, over the past couple of years, I've managed to to meet him quite a few times, and he's got a real um, a real interesting philosophy about goalkeeping, and a lot of his techniques, uh, perhaps, kind of thinking outside the box, and maybe his techniques that other coaches wouldn't employ themselves. But it has to be said, they're very effective. Like I said, he's got a very good reputation in obviously came came with Pellegrini as well, and the fact that Pep Guardiola has kept him there as well says a lot. It's it's similar to what's happening in goalkeeping coaching in general, really, because you're spending less time one v one with the goalkeeper doing the traditional goalkeeper drills, and you end up coaching more from like an outfield coach, like just a, a normal coach, and so your goalkeepers are more integrated into the group training. Anything where there's it's possession or possession-based games. We always try and make sure that there's a goalkeeping element to it as well. So whether it's involving them in actually in the possession itself, whether they're just used as an end man to make it more realistic, whether they're just part of the build-up. Like I said, you're spending less time working on the technical details and more traditional goalkeeping elements and, and, and more working on the decision-making and putting them in more realistic game-type situations. Well, uh, we touched on Edison's shot stopping there. The, 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 on the other hand, it was it was Claudio Bravo's shot stopping that uh, that that got him into certainly um, the position of being a figure of fun at City for 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 his first season. Um, he, his ability to sort of it always seems to be that he concedes the first shot on target. I, I can't put my finger on why that would be. It's amazing what pressure can do to you, and I think that's as an all round goalkeeper. There's no doubting that he, he's got quality. Somebody who's got so many caps and, and captain Chile, and obviously built up a good reputation play for Barcelona. And there's some minimum requirements or expectations of a goalkeeper of that standard. And again, like I said, you don't. Be, it's just like Joe Hart. You, you don't become a bad goalkeeper overnight. But sometimes when you're placed in these situations and you're put into pressure situations, that strange things happen to you. And you, you so sometimes you know you there might be an insecurity about your play, so you, you end up taking up different positions, whether that's retreating to your line or being too aggressive with your positions, and that has a knock-on effect to you, the chance of you being able to stop the ball or giving you the best chance of stopping the ball. And It's always a difficult situation when you have the start that he did at Manchester City to recover from that, especially when you're not playing regularly because of his backstory, whenever he's dropped into the side for cup games or you know, if Edison's ever injured or, or whatever then there does seem to be that added pressure on top of him as well. So it's rather than him being becoming a bad goalkeeper, I think it's more down to the mental approach. We always say on, on the show that uh, whenever he's conceded a goal that, that looks like he might have done better with it, it always seems to feel like, like he's not moved his feet quickly enough or well enough. What's, what, what's your take on, on his footwork? Well, I, I did a piece for um, the Times during his first season. Just a bit of a, a technical breakdown of what I thought was, was going wrong with his game. And, and I think that's... I don't know whether sometimes it, it, it goalkeepers need a bit more time to adjust to different styles of football than, than regular players. You know, if you think about a centre, centre midfield player, they're always involved in 
playing more often than not. They, you know, there's there's always something for them to just to. So like during the game, they're working things out in their own minds and the the game dictates what they do and it's a lot easier for them to get into the game. Whereas with goalkeepers, you know, you spend a lot of time with without the ball, out, get more time to think about things and you also got to get used to the tempo of the games and, and, and how the ebb and flow of games are different in different countries as well. So it's, you know, you, you could put a lot down to that as well. And errors, I mean, I suppose errors must play on your mind as well. If, you, if you're not involved, for, if you make an error, then you're not involved for 10, 15 minutes or so. It, it must be something that, that kind of keeps bouncing around your head. Yeah, it does. And I think that's the that's kind of what separates, you know, the good and, obviously not good and bad goalkeepers, but, you know, that, that makes the difference at that level. It's how you deal with those mistakes, and it's amazing. It's um, you know, when you, when you hear people talking about how um, how goalkeepers have got to be mad, you know, you've got to be mad to be a goalkeeper, and you've got to have a special kind of mentality. What isn't said is that to even just reach at a, a level of Premier League, Championship, even just full time League One, League Two, you've got to have a certain amount of resilience. You have to overcome setbacks all the time. Because there's just greater consequences to your stakes. Is there also the case that that it, it didn't matter who replaced Joe Hart because of because of the the level he'd achieved at City? It was always it was always going to be a struggle for whoever came in. I'm not quite sure about that because I mean, if it had been if it had been a year later and Edison had come in, then I'm quite sure he'd have still had the same effect and the same positive start that he did. Um, I mean, you'd be able to tell better than me whether there was some sort of Changing the in the atmosphere at the grounds, whether it was you know because regardless of any anyone's um, opinion on Joe Hart's sort of since he's left Manchester City up until the, that point he left, I don't think he you know he'd always held a, a really high standard. He'd been there when they won the first Premier League, and a lot of that was was down to him. He was solid, some great um, great performances, especially away from home in, in Champions League games as well. So it was um, yeah, of course you you know you, you come into a club like in the situation that City was, big club, that, uh, that had a lot of recent success, you know, there's always going to be pressure on you to, to start well anyway. So I think it doesn't matter who you are and what club you're going into, but especially in that level, you, there's a certain expectation that you're, that you're placing yourself. Check out exclusive City interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. I wanted to use this show to talk about City's great goalkeepers down the years as well. And uh, whatever you say about how it ended for him, like you say, David, he, he can't be considered anything other than a great goalkeeper at City, Joe Hart. Um, how? I mean, let's let's go back to 2010 when uh, Roberto Mancini was in charge. How how big was that decision to put the confidence in, in Joe Hart for that game at Spurs over Shea Given? It's these types of situations that make careers, really. You know, how often you've seen, a, you know, there's been a, an injury crisis at a club and a young keeper gets thrust in the limelight and it's kind of sink or swim situation for them, like, you know, but it's, he'd had his battles before then as well, obviously with Kasper Schmeichel initially and being sent out on loan at Birmingham, which was probably a, a great thing for his development as a goalkeeper. But I, I think what, once a manager does that, more than any performance that you can, that you can put in yourself on the pitch, that is key to having the confidence of your manager, especially when he puts you above somebody who's had the career that the cheers had and the, the level of goalkeeper that he is. Then once you do that, then obviously it's up to you to, to, to kind of put the performances in it and, and keep your place. What what made Hart so good, especially in that kind of 10, 2010 to 2012 period where he was, he was pulling off some unbelievable saves? I think just going back to the part about you know him being held in high esteem and being a huge favourite at City is that I can't remember him really having that much of a rocky time at, at, at City. I know there was times when he was taken out and, and maybe for his own good just to sort of refresh his, his motivation again, ref, refresh his mentality and get back to the level he, he was performing before. But it was, it was up in my mind, looking back now, it's the England performances, time in Torino, you know, at West Ham. These are the times that kind of showed a inconsistency in his game. But I mean, looking back to a lot of the the big games he played in, uh, that he played a big part in, I mean, he was phenomenal in one v one situations. Really strong, really aggressive, really, um, you know, he, he was a real monster in them in them situations because it, the, the, a lot of time the ball wasn't getting past him. And, he wasn't given the opportunity for strikers to to think about what they had, what they were going to do. He was, he was always very aggressive in these positions. There were there were reports kind of towards the end of Mancini's time at City that he wanted uh, Asmir Begovic as someone who could push Joe Hart. Begovic actually ended up going as second goalkeeper to Chelsea at that time. 
Um, do you, when you are a goalkeeper with a with, without um, you've got the number one shirt, but you haven't got somebody behind you who is necessarily going to be taking that off you, as he had with like with him and Shea Given. He always had Shea Given on keeping him on his toes for the years after that. Maybe not so with uh, with the likes of Costel Pantillimon. Um, do you, do you often need somebody to push you to to keep you on your your very best performances? Yeah, I think it's key. I think um, you know a lot of the relationship I've had with uh, with fellow goalkeepers, whether I've been in the number two position or number one, you know, it's great to have that sort of healthy competition. As long as you know that um, they perform brilliant training every day and it becomes a daily competition. So rather than just, you know, doing enough to keep your place in games, you're pushing yourself every day to make sure you're better than the goalkeeper at the opposite end of the pitch. Yeah, I, I, I can understand if, they, you know, if they, it looks as if there's been a, a lack of motivation or... Sometimes, you know, you can just get too comfortable in, in, in your position and you change your approach to the way you work. And sometimes that's not a conscious thing either. You can you can have your self-motivation and push yourself as, as much as you can, but also that if there's somebody else there, then it just gives that, that added 10% that can make all the difference between being, you know, then putting a good performance on or making the real difference in games with with Hart, um, Roy Keane obviously talked about him being uh, or, or branded him arrogant uh, ahead of uh, one of the England games, and and there was always the talk that that he seemed to uh, get himself really really worked up and riled up in the tunnel ahead of games. Um, is that a bad thing? It depends if it works for you. You go back to somebody like Peter Schmeichel, you see that the the way that he was in games, you know the the constant berating of, of defenders and he seemed to be sort of loud and brash. And everybody kind of got into the head that this was the way that goalkeepers should be. They should be domineering. It has to work for you and it can't be detrimental to your performance. And I think that's where Peter Schmeichel was was above everyone else because one, it fueled him to, to go on and perform well, but he could have that sort of mentality, but also keep a level head at, at the same time. So when he was needed, it didn't affect his decision making. I think that's the biggest thing. If you're always at a, a ten motivation wise or being really aggressive, and that's going to affect you know emotionally, that's going to affect your decision making. That's when you start doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. And I think I probably agree a little bit with Roy Keane, where it's okay being like that. So it keeps you, it, it keeps you at a, it keeps you really well motivated for those games where. You know, it's not against the bigger sides. It's not. It's it's trying to guard against um, complacency. But when you go into big games where the atmosphere is always is red hot and it's against a really good side and there can be some tension in the side, in the rest of your players and in yourself, if you take that to another level, like I said, it, it can affect you. And for me, that's probably why in some of the games, uh, especially with, with England, that it was uh, it, it was affecting him. And, that, and to me, you know, you, you look at all the goalkeepers now, you know, go back to some like Edwin van der Sar, who's just totally calm. You look at the keepers now, you look at Edison, Stegen, uh, Allison. all these keepers have a really calm demeanour about them. Okay, they can, they can raise their voice or give sort of aggressive direction when they need to, but more often than not, it's about being calm. And if you calm, you make better decisions. Well, David, you mentioned some of, of Joe Hart's uh, great performances for City. We, we've got some audio from that time as well. When it comes to, to individual goalkeeping for, uh, performances, especially from Hart, um, that one against Dortmund is one of my one of the ones I always go to. This is Joe Hart speaking to City TV and then Roberto Mancini in his post-match press conference after that one-all draw back in 2012. Yeah, I've done all right. Yeah, like I say, I don't do a great deal in the Man City shirt. Um, so when required, I like to step up and hopefully I did that tonight. Did it surprise you how under pressure you were at times? Um, no, nothing surprised you in football. You know, it's a game. You know, they're a Champions League side. The champions of Germany, we're champions of, of our own country, and it was going to be good. And I'm sure it's absolutely, you know, enthralling to watch like a, like our last Champions League game. You know, come out with a point this time. Joe had saved us to this incredible defeat because he saved everything. And we should say thank you to him this evening. You've obviously been in football a long time, Roberto. Was, was that the best performance you've ever seen from a goalkeeper? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know this. <laughs> he did a fantastic performance because it was fantastic tonight. I, I don't know if it was if it's the best performance in the football history, but 
It is very well. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, there was also the time that he performed out of his skin in the new Camp in a game where Lionel Messi called it the best goalkeeping performance he'd ever seen. Uh, here's some of the highlights of that game. Messi, Iniesta. Messi. Oh, and Joe Hart. If he uh, spread well enough to keep it out. And here comes Jordi Alba and Joe Hart again. Make sure that City is still in with a chance, slim pickings it might be, but you never know. Beaten away by Hart again. Messi letting rip this time. And they're on the ropes. Neymar has spotted Messi. And Leo Messi is just shown the right way by Joe Hart, narrowing the angle. Danny Alves, Messi's onside, and Joe Hart comes flying out to great effect. Neymar's in, and Hart saves yet again. Neymar, they're in again, Barcelona. Can they wrap it up now? Messi should, and doesn't. Danny Alves, well, it's incredible what's gone on. Brilliant from Neymar when he gets one-on-one in this channel, just goes past Fernandinho and picks out Messi. Fantastic turn and touch in one. And Joe Hart somehow gets back across his goal. Well, but for Joe Hart. This would have been very, very easy for Barcelona. Get involved with the debate on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. And we talked about it briefly before as well, but that match at Spurs where he was uh, given the the start over Shea Given uh, and then immediately proved his worth. This was Chris Kamara's report on Sky Sports Soccer Saturday at the time. Unbelievable stuff from this goalkeeper. Magnificent is the word for it. Absolutely, some of the saves he has made. First, he cleared a corner that came over from Gareth Bale to the edge of the 18-yard box. And on the volley came Tom Huddleston. And he's whacked this ball. And he's readjusted, having thumped the ball out in the first place, to dive to his right and to make that save. Brilliant, but the best was yet to come. Another corner, this time cleared out further than the 18-yard line to Asura Kotto, who came running in from the left-back position, hit it on the volley, it took a deflection off Yara Toure and was just heading into the top left-hand corner. Now, goalkeepers who make saves like this are absolutely brilliant and worth, well, they're worth billions and billions. And this fella's certainly worth billions because it was right in the top corner, Jeff, left hand out, and he tipped it over the crossbar. What a save. Still nil-nil. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. So some of uh, Joe Hart's great performances there. Um, David, when you when you look at where he is now and, and uh, the sort of saves that he used to make, uh, do you do you find it quite, quite absurd that he... I mean, the age he is, he should be coming into the prime of his career, shouldn't he? Yeah, you would think that. But like I said, all, all these contributing factors since he left Manchester City, they've all led to, to where he is now. And talk about complacency coming to a goalkeeper, you know, if they've assured of their, or they feel like they're assured of their place without any pressure coming from the second-choice keeper. But a lot of the time, you, you do need a certain amount of security. You need a certain amount of stability. And especially, you know, I think a big key to this as well is goalkeeping coaches. Goalkeeping coaches don't... Uh, can't take any responsibility performance they can help them get to that point but once they're on the pitch then it's the performance is, is the goalkeepers it's their ownership and he'll come from I think it was uh, Batara with Mancini and then you've got Xavi Mancisador then he goes to Torino a goalkeeper coach there then he goes to West Ham and then he's uh, he's at Burnley now and all these different goalkeepers might uh, goalkeeper coaches might see different things in Joe and perhaps might uh, correct them some goalkeepers' coaches have a um, like a template that they try and press on every goalkeeper, which, in my my opinion, is wrong. In my opinion, it's up to the coach to adapt to the goalkeeper rather than the other way around. But especially going to Italy and so, and then you start, you know, you're thinking more about your game and you start becoming more exper- experimental with your game. And I think he did the right thing by going to Torino. If that was the only option that was available to him, then it was good to go and get games. Great to go and get experience of another football take yourself out of a comfort zone and put yourself in there. But it's about decision-making and how do you get used to making those decisions that are going to matter in game and and, and that's about playing games and that's what you've got to do. I mean, at the moment, he's got some competition with um, with, with Nick Pope. He's got a different challenge now. When we talk about him trying to keep his shirt before, now he's got to win a shirt back and that takes a different, a different sort of mentality. 
Do you think when when Guardiola arrived at, at, at City, and uh, I mean there were reports from behind the scenes that Hart was, um, let's say, less than enthusiastic about about changing his style of play and and and, and changing his decision making when he's got the ball at his feet? Um, do you, do you what, what's your take on that situation? Well, I mean, you know how Pep Guardiola works, and there's no way that Pep Guardiola just came in day one and then kind of decided, well, this isn't the goalkeeper for me. Obviously, we're not privy to the full facts, but you'd imagine that from whatever time he's known that he'd be coming to Manchester, that he was assessing his squad and analysing his squad. And again, it's um, it might even be a case of that you find a lot of managers going into squads and, and, and making an impression straight away. And by making an impression, they stamp their authority on the on the whole squad by showing who's the boss. And maybe it was a big case that, you know, that if he felt that Joe wasn't all in 100% in what he was going to be trying to do, and then there was a case for changing it. But, it, you know, I remember speaking to Ben Foster some, you know, about a year, year and a half ago, you know, and he's talk, we were talking about playing out from the back end, and he wasn't comfortable with it. He was saying that, you know, if a manager's asking him to, to play a little bit more and, he wanted to err on the side of safety and he'd rather just play the ball further forward. And so if you've got a goalkeeper who's who's only going to do that and not going to be, like I said, 100% buy-in to what you're trying to do, then you have to get somebody else in that's going to do that. You know, some people aren't, aren't comfortable doing that. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. I want to, to finish this chat with uh, some of the more famous incidents that have happened with City and goalkeepers down the years. Um, City have been blessed with some great goalkeepers uh, before and after the takeover, thinking back to the likes of uh, David James, uh, Andreas Isaacson. My hero growing up was Nicky Weaver, but there was also your Kasper Schmeichel, you mentioned him before, an old Peter Schmeichel at his time at City. Tony Coton was a great goalkeeper as well for City. Um, one of the one of the most famous incidents, and we'll take you back to 2005, it was the final day of the season, City needed a goal, uh, and suddenly David James has got an outfield shirt on and he's playing centre-forward. What what was your reaction when you saw that happening? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I quite like managers that think outside the box. I like managers who um, think differently, and a big thing of mine is, is about being different. It's one of the reasons why I want to be a goalkeeper, I want to be different, I didn't want to be the same as everyone else. And yeah, I, I can you know I know that Stewart's coming for a lot of stick, sort of well, ever since that uh, that that moment. But for me, looking at it, then it's a, it's a bit of a sad indictment on the rest of the squad that the manager feels that he has to go up the lens to do that to try and get a result. I'd imagine that if you're a striker who's at the club or who's another outfield player that's sat on the bench, and you, you see a goalkeeper going on before you, then it's um, he's feel hugely disrespected and I think the, the only way that it was ever going to be seen anything other than a bad decision was if something came of it if there was a you know if he scored a goal or contributed to a goal because the one thing it does do and it's the same as any goalkeeper going into the opposition's box with um, up for a corner at the end of a game to try and rescue a point or rescue a goal or get a goal it's about causing confusion it's about make, you know unsettling the the, the defensive structure of the opposition at a set piece and it's, to, it's totally that, that's a totally different scenario than actually putting a uh, putting a goalkeeper on as a striker and, and to be honest I mean I wouldn't mind if he if he looked like he was anything other than just a headless chicken running <laughs> a, a very big headless chicken running about up there like you know so it was uh, or if it been can't even if it been part of some plan rather than just you know if there was if the baby's worked on it for 10 minutes and said, well, if we need to go in the game, this is what's going to happen. So David's going to play, go up front, and then this is what we're going to do. When it just seemed to be a, a little bit, it seemed to be chaos. I mean, you're supposed to cause chaos to the opposition, not cause chaos to you. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny as well because we all there's, there's that moment of anticipation that certainly when when everybody in the crowd saw the outfield shirt with one James on the back, it's it was it was almost like the the, the complete opposite of when uh, an outfield player has to go in goal. And then City had that recently as well with Kyle Walker. How did you think he did when he when he had to go in? Yeah, he did really well. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he did really well, and I think um, obviously. So as soon as uh, you put in performance like that, then you obviously get the the jokey comments and uh, everyone calling them for being number two goalkeeper ahead of Claudio, like you know. But I think it's um, 
It's it's always great to to have an outfield player who's who's going in goal and like I said before about being uh, the mindset of of a of a goalkeeper wanting to play out from the back and the mindset of a manager taking the fee away. That's half the battle when you you being a goalkeeper and half the battle of, of an outfield player uh, going in goal. It's actually going in there and enjoying it. You don't want somebody in there who, who looks really uncomfortable. I was going to say that for City, the last time I remember it happening was uh, was Niall Quinn in ninety yeah. one, and he uh, did he go to the to a World Cup as Ireland's third goalkeeper as well. Do you know what? There's every chance, but I mean, you know that uh, obviously Niall coming from Ireland, coming from uh, you know playing Gaelic football when he was younger and hurling. That's exactly what you know the training thought in goalkeeper at the moment. It's about not specialising too early. They get goalkeepers who are like come from a multi-sport background, so you you're very adaptable to, to different situations rather than being sort of pigeonholes at a, at a very early age, where it's seen as restricting you if you if you specialise too early. And I think I, I, he might have done a couple of times. I mean, I played with Cunny at Sunderland, and uh, he, I think he might have done a couple of times. I know he saved. The, he definitely saved the penalty at City, yeah. Yeah, he saved. He, uh, he scored. He scored the winning goal, and then went in goal and saved a penalty. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Lovely stuff. Right, uh, going to finish with some uh, questions from the listeners. Pete Holland uh, has been in touch on the emails to ask. Uh, City have had some great keepers at penalty shootouts. Uh, I think of Weaver, Caballero, even for all of his faults, Claudio Bravo. What makes a good penalty shootout goalkeeper, and how easy are penalties to read? Well, I mean, um, there's a lot. Of, I've been reading a lot of research on this, and uh, there's. Uh, a woman who's a, she's head of the head of performance at Ajax, and she was talking about uh, how that a lot of the time when goalkeepers are, are facing penalties, that they look at the ball until the very last second and then look up to the body of the of the taker. In the past, you know, you might have been taught, or you know, you need to try and look for uh, any clues in their body shape where they're going to put the ball, and they might give away some. The, the body language might give away some clues. But the, the research that has been done at Ajax is that you should only focus on the ball because that's the the uh, the initial flight of the ball, no matter how minimal it is, that's what it, it, a lot of the indicators where you, can, you, know, you react off where that ball goes and it gives you a bigger, bigger chance of, of saving the ball. So that there's a lot of research going into to penalties now. I know uh, Ben Franks has, uh, wrote a penalty at... Um, uh, a book on penalties as well. Uh, a lot of research goes into you know. You, I spent you know as a coach now. I spend a lot of time researching opposition penalties, the history of potential penalty takers, and you know, we have a little sit down. We always have a little meeting to perhaps come up with a where they they feel they might go with the uh, with the penalty. But at the end of the day, it's, it's about the the goalkeeper itself, and I think a lot of it. You can call it intuition if you want, but it's just that. You know, after you've done all this research and you've put all the hard work into it, and you, you, you know, you're taking the the whole situation into account. You know, it's so it's different facing a penalty in the first minute to the last minute of a game, uh, and it is for us for the taker as well. You know, it affects the maybe their their choice of where they place the penalty. So it's um, there's a lot more goes into it than than what they used to. I wish I had that all this when I played because you know there's very rarely saw. Uh, a lot of footage from uh, from penalty takers, unless you played against them before yourself. So it's so now it's just um, yeah, there's there's a whole science behind it now, which is uh, which is brilliant. Well, now there's a whole psychology into it because like, like goalkeepers will know where where each takers put their last penalty and and know which side they prefer, and then the taker knows that the goalkeeper knows that, so they might go the other. I can't I can't begin to get my head around how how, how in depth it must get in, in terms of meta layers anymore. Um, Alex Fisher on the emails also asks, uh, I miss the days of crazy goalkeeper kits. I'm thinking of Tony Coton in the purple and green triangles or the yellow with burgundy stripes for City. Uh, what's the best worst kit that you had to wear? And would you like to see a return to those colour mashups? Well, one, no, I wouldn't like to uh, return <laughs> to the mashups. I, I mean, later on in my career, I, ju- I, I just preferred either just just black. I mean, I know there's a, there's a long history with that with Lev Yashin. You know, I just thought it was brilliant. Just a nice, simple uh, one colour. But I've wore some horrific kits in the past, <laughs> especially especially in the nineties, which were you know the war rage then. But there's one that's there's a picture that's gone about the internet uh, quite a lot when I was at Sunderland. I think it was like around the nineties, ninety five, ninety six season, I think it was, and it was uh, it was actually designed by school children. And it looks like it's been designed by school <laughs> uh, The kid supplier at Sunderland at the time was a, a company called Avic, which was a 
think they were based in the northeast, and that's what they did for the um, for the goalkeeping kit. They put a competition out to, to all the local schools. It's so bad, it's good. I think it's quite popular these days because it's so bad. My uh, my first city goalkeeper kit was that that purple and green triangles one. But my, I I always think back to the uh, that ninety nine team that that you played against actually. Um, and the orange that Nicky Weaver had to wear. And mm. I always feel sorry for him that he didn't get the chance to wear the green, which was the much nicer Kappa jersey in the uh, in the iconic playoff final, because that would be the one that's remembered now. Um, finally, Steve Sigalko on Twitter asks, uh, do you think a goalkeeper can be elite, great, world-class, etc., whilst having a gaping flaw in their game? Lots of outfield players seem to be accepted as great, while completely lacking in one specific attribute. Um... Yeah, possibly. I think that, you know, you look at some, I go back to my time in Scotland and Stefan Kloss was goalkeeper for Rangers. He was the perfect goalkeeper for, for Rangers at that time because they were, you know, again, we go back to teams being dominant and the goalkeepers being, having very little to do. He was he was world-class at having nothing to do for 80 minutes and then producing a, a wonder save towards the end of the game to save points for his side. And, you know, he was a Champions League winner with Dortmund as well in '97. Uh, so and you so you'd have to put him in the, in the top out of goalkeepers, but at the same time he was he wasn't particularly good at um, dealing with crosses. Uh, whether you you know whether you put down that, that down to decision making or whether you you know because he wasn't the tallest of goalkeepers, he he didn't really have to to deal with them. But I think that you could still have a goalkeeper in the modern game now simply be, uh, with, with that same flaw simply because. The way the game's progressed now, you're not having to deal with a lot of um, balls pumped into the box. Any crosses that come in now are typically Guardiola-influenced cutbacks from uh, from the byline. So I, I still think you can you can have elite goalkeepers who do have the flaws in the game. But this is as long as those flaws aren't costing goals on a on a regular basis, and, a, and on that on that basis, somebody's conceding goals because of flaws, then you wouldn't probably put them in the elite bracket anyway. You know, but I mean, you look at some like Jan Oblak as well. We don't really know the extent of how good his distribution could be because he's not asked to do the same job that Alison Nelson are um, at City and Liverpool as he is at Athletic Madrid. So would you say that was a flaw in his uh, game that you know, might deter other, uh, other clubs like City and Liverpool you know, buying in the future if that was, if that was the case? Or, well uh, that's it for today's Blue Moon Podcast goalkeeping special thank you very much for listening please don't forget to give the show a rating and a review in all the usual places and if you'd like to support the show by becoming a Patreon backer then we have a bonus podcast for you every week that's just $2 a month this week's is me and Richard Burns sorting through City's best value for money transfers in a in a Blue Moon Podcast unique kind of way uh, special thanks to my guest for this week's show David Priest. thank you very much thank you David uh, I'll be back next week I'll see you then take care the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast